Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Erin Griffith. I'm a writer for the New York Times. And I have with me Fred Wilson and Albert Wenger from uh, Unisquare Ventures. We're going to talk about climate. So let's jump into it. Um, I want to start with Fred. Uh, every year, you write a blog post predicting what you think is going to happen in the next year. And this year, your number one prediction was about climate. And you equated the climate crisis to bigger and more impactful than the two world wars. Um, so that's, that's pretty dramatic. Why don't you uh, start by explaining what you mean by that? Well, I think I equated them to the two world wars. I'm not sure I said they were bigger, but we can go back and look at that. I was, okay. I was, I was trying to be dramatic. I was trying to say that I think that the climate crisis is to this century the thing. Like, like that when, you know, in the future when we look back at the century, that'll be the defining thing that, that humanity did to... Or didn't do? I'm, op I'm an optimist. <laughs> did. If you're a venture capitalist, you have to be an optimist. All right, but what about it in particular? I mean, like... I just think we have, we, we have to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we built the modern economy on carbon, and we have to stop. And we know how to stop, and we just have to do it. And it's going to be, it's a, it's a political problem, it's a technological problem, and I think that um, it's also a fantastic investment opportunity. Which, we, which is why we're here to talk about it. Um, what, was the, what was the feedback on that, by the way? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I get a lot of, I mean, there were, People liked it, you know. Okay. I think I look. I think being uh, uh, controversial, people like that. Like saying things that um, you know get people's attention. I think that that's generally a good thing to do. Okay, if, I will know I'm successful today. Then, if if we get you to do that. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Albert, why don't you talk about when did you personally wake up to the climate crisis? Well, I've been giving all these talks about attention, human attention, and how we have this problem that we're paying attention to all the wrong things. You know, we're spending all this time scrolling our Facebook feeds and spending all this time, you know, we have all these PhDs optimizing ads, so we look at, you know, things and buy things that we don't need. Right, that's, and, there's a saying, the greatest minds of my generation. Are yeah, exactly. And so I, I kept talking, and I said, well, there are two examples of things that we're not paying enough attention to. Example one is individual purpose, like, what's my purpose in life? And example two is climate crisis. And I kept standing on stage saying that, and I was like, and I am not paying enough attention to the climate crisis, personally. <laughs> so I was like, I should be exhibit A in my own talk. And so I just started reading up on it, and it's the kind of topic that more you read, the more you realize, oh my God, it's so much bigger and so much more severe and so much more imminent than we all think. Mm -hmm. Albert, and Albert, did your kids have anything to do with it? Um, I think our kids were sort of off doing other things. I, I feel like a little bit like I kind of dragged them into this. So you dragged them into it. Because yeah. my experience was that my kids kind of dragged me into it. They're like, your generation <laughs> is ruining the world for my generation. Wow, they had a real like, okay, boomer moment. No, no, well, by the way, <laughs> I do think that the younger you are, I mean, you know, Greta is probably the perfect example of this. The younger you are, the more pissed off you are about this, right? Because I think there's a chance, like, you look at this and like, it's going to be really bad by 2050, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, you know. You're doing I the math. I'm like, a, I'm, 
I'm gonna be 90 then, you know? I could be <laughs> dead by then, but like if you're 15, yeah. you're like, holy shit, you know? <laughs> so I, I do think that the, the younger generation, in, in, my, in my family, is really pissed off about this. And so when did, so, so, so you guys woke up to this idea. When did you decide that your business needed to be part of the solution? Well, we had a conversation in the partnership about what are the kind of things we invest in, and is this an opportunity we could invest in? And it's not like the first time we did this. We had our first investment 10 years ago in a company uh, that was called AMI, which was an acronym which stood for Avoiding Mass Extinction Events. And what that company did was wow, help... really uplifting. Yeah. <laughs> we, we didn't tell anybody what it stood for. Um, and what that company did was it helped other companies track carbon in their entire supply chain so that you could sort of say, this product represents this amount of embedded carbon. Uh, and it was really interesting because 10 years ago, everybody wanted to talk to this company and nobody wanted to buy because people had other priorities. Uh, but what feels very different Wait, today... So, so, so what happened with that company, by the way? Uh, the no company one? was sold. We, we didn't make any money on it. Because um, you couldn't get other investors excited about it? No, because we couldn't get customers to pay. Wow. Customers were like, this is really interesting, and the CSR department or some other department would meet with the company, but then when it was time to write a big check to subscribe to the yeah. software, people were like, you know what, the carbon thing, it's not that important. After so the all. economic, there wasn't an economic incentive for people to use it. And now, one of the things that's really changed now in, in 2020 is that because of Greta and other people, because of these movements, because of also what the climate has actually done, there's just a much bigger awareness and also much more political will to do things like carbon taxes, of which there are a bunch in Europe already. Yeah, and so, I mean, I, I think that's, that's um, a really important point. We can't talk today about investing, venture investing in climate tech without bringing up the word clean tech and talking about the sort of clean tech boom and bust of the early 2000s. I mean, that's a huge black eye. I think a lot of people lost a lot of money on that, including a lot of LPs. And um, you know, what, what lessons have we learned from that? And, and, uh, and can you talk maybe more in depth about what is different now? Well, it's different is we're 10 years further into the climate crisis and it's becoming ever more apparent that something needs to be done. I would say, you know, if you separate out individual benefit from social benefit for, benefit for a moment, um, what people did at the time, it was the right thing to do, and it, has, it gave a huge boost to things that we now benefit from. So if you look at the curve, for example, on photovoltaics, on PV panels, a lot of that kickoff happened from clean tech investments, investments which may not have returned money, but which got the technology going so that now we can put, you know, Community solar, and mm -hmm. it's one of the fastest Can growing. Can you put that into solar. plain English? Like, you, you mean it's just cheaper now? Meaning, yes, today, <laughs> yes, things have, you, you can make electricity from the sun, solar electricity, much, much cheaper than a decade ago. But this is actually, we've seen this before, right? So, the huge telecom boom and bust in the late 90s, right? Most people lost money on CLEX and all those kinds of um, big telecom build out. But that's really what built the commercial internet. Like that's, we've been benefiting from that now for 20 years because all those people lost all that money. So I actually think that that is, a, <laughs> no, it, but I think that's, that happens in almost every technology cycle is that there's this early enthusiasm that's way too early. Mm -hmm. um, people get way too excited. They put way too much money into it and they lose their money. But they did build something, mm -hmm. and then we kind of get the free use of all that, or maybe not free, but we get like basically the, the financial benefits of that investment do accrue mm -hmm. to society over time. 
And do you do you think people's memory or people, people are willing to? I mean, I'm thinking specifically about LPs um, th that that lost a lot of money. I mean, memories are, are long in that in that front. Do they do they hear you guys getting all excited about climate and think, oh God, no, please no? <laughs> we, we've not heard that, have we? No, uh, we we presented um, to our LPs uh, at our last LP meeting in November, and I, I think everybody understands that this problem is really just massively severe. I think Bill Gross gave this analogy yesterday, so some of you may have heard it before, but <clears throat> the excess energy that we're trapping in the atmosphere above the pre-industrial baseline is four Hiroshima-sized nuclear bombs every second. Um, and, <clears throat> and so once you wrap your head around that sort of an absurdly large number, if you sort of imagine for a moment that you had these alien spaceships hovering and dropping sort of four nuclear bombs a second into the atmosphere, we would literally drop everything else and just try and get rid of them. Um, this is what you know, Independence so, Day, the movie's about. And why so, are we not doing that? Well, I think people are now recognizing that that's what we need to do. And I think um, because, again, these earlier investments were made, now we have a whole set of technologies available to ourselves. I mean, battery storage too. Batter the cost of battery storage per kilowatt hour has been coming down at an amazing rate. So now it's no longer a question do we have the technology? It's more of a question, how do we get it much more widely deployed, and how can we accelerate the broad deployment of these technologies? So why don't you tell me, you guys recently announced two deals um, in the, in, and I guess what can be considered the climate space, which, we, which is how we've rebranded clean tech or green tech, which rebranding always helps, I guess. Um, That's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and I like this sort of like backward history, like, no, no, it, all, the, all that lost money, all those failures, like, they just paved the way. Like, this is, uh, this is a good, a good way to spin it forward. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of our skill set. Yeah, you guys, are, you guys are the spinners of dreams. Um, that's, you know, the VCs are, are great at narrative. So, um, why don't you talk, I, I don't, I, sorry, that sounded sarcastic, but I didn't mean it that way. Um, it's all about the story. The story yeah. is what makes humans tick. Sure, you know, we, yeah. We, <laughs> We read that book. Yeah, we like a good story. <laughs> um, and honestly, I like talking to VCs about this because VCs are eternal optimists, and as a journalist, I tend to be a little bit more cynical. So you know, you guys are giving me a little hope. It's very gloomy out there. Um, so talk to me about the two deals that you guys that you guys recently made. Uh, one called Leap, and one called Ren. So um, Project Ren is a place where you, as an individual, can buy offsets for carbon that you are emitting and that you're not going to be able to do much about. So for example, as VCs, we travel a lot, like we came here on airplanes. Um, those airplanes are not going to be carbon neutral anytime soon. Uh, and so when you know that you have a certain amount of carbon footprint, we know how to take carbon out of the air. The most effective way to take carbon out of the air is to plant trees. Um, or it's one very effective way. And so on Project Ren, you can sort of say, here's my carbon footprint, and I want to give money to this specific project. So offsets have gotten a bad reputation, in large part because it was sort of a very um, almost shady industry where people were spending money, and it wasn't clear whether that money was actually doing anything to well, the kind episode. of like a PR play. Yeah, and, and, and there were literally examples where people were collecting money that they said was going towards the planting of trees that just went into their personal pocket. Um, or there were examples of people saying we do this methane capture and it wasn't actually happening. So um, Project REN aims to bring transparency to that. Mm -hmm. And the second is uh, a company called Leap Energy. Do you want to briefly yeah. talk about Leap? So Leap basically um, does something super important. It makes the energy grid 
accessible um, through APIs so that software developers can build applications that do things like demand response. Demand response is basically when your energy company says to you, I'll give you a lower energy bill if you promise not to use a lot of energy between, you know, nine and five, right? So you need software applications to help people like us actually, you know, you know, deliver on that promise. Mm -hmm. And that's one example. But the, 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 the energy grid is not that programmable, right? It's kind of, you know, 50-year-old, you know, technology. And so Leap makes, uh, does all the hard work, kind of like Twilio did with the telephony world. Mm -hmm. uh, Leap does to the world of uh, the energy grid to build the APIs that software developers need to make applications. When you guys went out to look for these deals, when you decided, okay, we're going to like get involved, we're going to like be part of the solution, we're going to back new technology that's going to help us solve this climate crisis, were you impressed by what you saw? Were there, were there a lot of exciting opportunities out there, or were you kind of casting about, like, uh, we need more people? No, there's a this? ton of activity, and uh, one of the things we did is when we announced those investments, we also completely open-sourced all of our research. So we wrote a blog post, and the blog post links to all our research, uh, because we believe that um, this, there's tons of activity, entrepreneurial activity, that a lot of people, um, we talked about the generational shift, that a lot of people are like, this is the problem that I want to tackle. And so um, lots of other funds should invest in this field. Lots of other funds are investing in this field. And so we wanted to share the work we had done so that other people you know, can sort of build on top of that. Did you have an easier time finding co-investors? Not yet. Um, I think there's a sort of a rapidly, this is a topic that I think lots of funds are coming to very quickly now. Mm -hmm. And so, and more and more, more and more of this is happening in software, right? Because yeah. of companies like Leap and others, um, more and more solutions, I mean, yes, we need the basic fundamentals of better ways to produce energy and, you know, store energy and like hard technology. but. Also, I think software is becoming more and more a piece of the solution set. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we know how to invest in. So I think you'll see most of what we do in climate will be software-based businesses. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like, I mean, that's not, yeah, that's not the only area. I mean, we need processes, materials, et cetera, and you're not going to be doing those kinds of deals. No, and there, there are other funds that are very well set up to invest in deep tech, for example, yeah. um, in next generation batteries. And we absolutely need that also. And, and there was just a $100 million investment in a battery company announced. So I think it's very encouraging. So we need both these vectors. We need to sort of take the stuff that already works and deploy it much more broadly. Um, I mentioned community solar earlier. So one of the great ways to deploy solar isn't for every house to try and have their own panel because your roof probably doesn't face the right direction and so forth. But if you get a bunch of people in a local community together and they say, we're all going to buy solar electric power from this new solar field, then you can put a field like right outside of town and it can power the entire town or big parts of the town. That is the fastest growing deployment of solar in the US today. Uh, but that needs software support, and that needs, you know, people need to sign up, they need to connect the meter, and so there's infrastructure that needs to be built to accelerate that type of deployment. Yeah, and the one thing that I kind of remember from my research was that the only area of the clean tech wave that actually did make money were software companies, like if, if you count Nest, I guess, which is technically a little bit of a hardware one too, but um, it'll be interesting to see what kinds of people come to fill that, that void. So what else are you excited about, and what areas do you plan to avoid as far as... Writing checks. 
in, so, in, in climate? Mm -hmm. Well, so because our fund is relatively small, it's a $200 million early stage fund, we tend to stay away from things that are going to be super capital intensive. So for example, we won't make an investment in nuclear fusion. Um, but as a personal investment, I've made a personal investment in a new nuclear fusion company. Um, so there's things that we can do with the fund, and then there are things that we can do personally. And they're, they're quite different, because every fund is set up and structured to address a specific type of problem. Mm -hmm. If we, in the blog post that Albert wrote on usv.com, where we sort of announced that we're doing climate investing, there's a link to a deck. And in that deck, it lists all the different sectors that we think are interesting. And there's like seven or eight. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But it also draws sort of a nice little box around. And here are things that yeah. USV isn't set up to do. Why don't you raise a separate fund? Well, uh, first of all, we have a commitment to our existing investors to do the thing that we do. And we think there's plenty of opportunity to do that. Okay. And other people have raised funds, you know, DCVC, Lux Capital, and lots of people um, uh, who've raised big funds to do hard tech investing. And so, you know, I, I think the way to think about the climate crisis is of a problem that is of such huge proportion that if we all do a little bit, um, that's how we make progress. It's, it's, I think we're, how we fail is if we go, oh, that's somebody else's problem. I don't, don't need to do anything here. There's nothing I can do with whatever. Like We can do lots of things as individuals. Mm -hmm. We can offset our carbon. We can contribute to climate activism. We can vote. <laughs> It's like a really important thing. Vote for candidates who take climate seriously. Um, so everybody can contribute. I think that's part of the message here. Even a fund that's small like Unisquare Ventures can find areas where we can make an important contribution. So there's no excuse for somebody if somebody sort of says, well, I don't know how to invest in this. If you are an investor and you put your mind to it, you will find interesting things to invest in. Um, and just, just because you brought it up, um, I know you have expressed your support for Andrew Yang. Fred, who's your pick? <laughs> Who's my pick? Yeah. Um, I think I'm anybody but Trump. Okay. <laughs> but like of the, <laughs> of the, uh, of the, uh, the candidates out there, any that you like? I like Andrew and I like Amy. Okay. All right. Um, so I want to ask, do, for investors who are suddenly, you know, also reading the same stuff that you guys are and, and thinking, like, I would like to do something, I would like my business to be contributing to the solution, do you think that founders and investors need to have some kind of experience and expertise in this field? It, it is very technical in a lot of parts. Um, or do we need more disruptors with completely fresh thinking who can, like, completely turn things around? Well, we've made a lot of money over the years with people who've been fresh to a field, you know. Mm -hmm. Jeff Lawson, who started Twilio, had no background in communications. He started Twilio because he was frustrated that he could, couldn't get good telephony for his prior business. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, obviously, it takes technological know-how, but also it takes people who have passion, who, who want to solve the problem, and who bring new perspectives to it, who are like, well, I'm going to try something new and different. Uh, so I think it, it, it takes the confluence of all of those. Mm -hmm. So I spend a lot of time on VC Twitter. Um, and one thing I saw when I was preparing for this was a lot of critics who are kind of saying that this sudden VC interest in climate is kind of a cynical cash grab. What, uh, what would you say to them? In what way? Cash grab meaning that? That it's just like an opportunity to make more money over, over fear. Over fear? Or over an opportunity. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not the critic, but. 
<laughs> oh, I'm just trying to understand the complaint. Yeah, it's just that like, okay, well, this is a this is a, a moral emergency, and here are a bunch of money people coming in to sort of profit. Okay. Um, I think that, as Albert said, government's got to be a piece of this, um, and society has to work to, to change the way we do things. There is a role for capitalism to play. There is a role for investors to play. And, you know, I, I think, you know, do we feel badly that Elon Musk made a lot of money proving to the world that electric cars are viable? I don't. I think, you know, he's a hero in that way. You know, I think that if we had waited for the existing automobile industry to give us electric cars, we still wouldn't have them. So, um, you know, I, I don't want to... Did you guys have a chance to invest in Tesla ever? Did we? Yeah. No, no, we did not. Um, I, I, I don't want to be like, you know, a rabid celebrating capitalism because I don't think that capitalism solves all problems. But I think capitalism can solve some problems. We need innovation and its diffusement and we need regulation. And we need both. Um, Something that happens in climate a lot is you, people wind up getting locked into these either-or discussions. It's like, you know, there are people like, we should only build nuclear reactors because we know how to build those and, and they'll work even at night when the sun isn't on and so forth. And then people like, never build any nuclear reactors. We should only do solar. Um, and then there are people like, it should all be the government and we should, you know, not have any private. It's just, it's so big a problem. We, we need to do all of the above. And we don't have any kind of luxury of picking here. Uh, and I don't think there's any kind of moral failing uh, t for people to allocate capital and make money on something if it solves a real problem. I think there's been a lot of debatable investments. Like, let me put exhibit A, Jewel, for example. Like, it's very debatable that that is a moral way of making money, right? Mm -hmm. To basically. Um, get a lot of new people addicted to nicotine who weren't previously addicted to nicotine. So I do think there are, not every investment can take a high ground, but if you can invest in something that clearly solves a problem and then people make money, I think that's totally okay. Mm -hmm. And what do, you, what do you think of this idea of like kind of, I'm calling it a purity test, essentially that if you want to speak out on an issue like climate, then you yourself can't fly in a private jet or you shouldn't be eating meat and you need to use your metal straws, all of that. <laughs> I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I, I, here's what I'll say on that. Um, I don't fly private. Um, Why? Is it out of uh, moral? Yeah, I, I, I just have a hard time, I mean, I've done it a few times, and you're sitting in a plane, and there's two pilots up there, and it's a big plane, right? And you're flying, and you're the only person in the plane. It's just like, I don't know, I don't, I don't feel good about that, right? Um, and the more that you, know, you read about how the, the meat industry is one of the you know, biggest you know, um, creators of issues, you know, it makes me think twice before going out and eating meat. I haven't given up meat, but I will tell you that my New Year's resolution this year is to try to eat meat only 20% of my meals, right? So I'm not saying, I don't, I don't feel it as a purity test. I just feel like it's like I need to behave consistent with what I believe. Mm -hmm. And I think, I don't want to be a hypocrite, but it's not, I don't, I don't care if someone calls me out for being a hypocrite. I just don't want to be one. Mm -hmm. Large-scale behavior change is going to require government regulation. 
So if you look at smoking, for example, it was when government started to really tax cigarettes that we made a huge dent into how many people smoke. So I think everybody needs to make their own decision what they think is sort of behavior that they're personally okay with. But if we want large-scale behavior change, we need a carbon tax um, and we need to maybe ban some forms of emission altogether. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, I, and I've heard that argument made before where it's like, oh, well, using metal straws or recycling or whatever actually creates this false sense of having done something when, in fact, there's no systemic change happening. Well, I, I might want to add one thing. It's okay to be concerned about plastics, but plastics are a complete rounding error. Um, plastics are not the problem. CO2 and methane in the atmosphere are the problem. So. Um, there's a lot of stuff that can be done in sustainability, and it's all good and important. But if we don't solve the greenhouse gas problem, that will kill us all. That's kind of grim. Um, <laughs> so, um, I like to say, when we solve the greenhouse gas problem. There you go. Problem, That's a better spin. Yeah, see, when, the when we have solved it, we will work on the straws. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean... <laughs> I think a lot of people read the headlines and you can kind of feel helpless about it and it's like, yeah, my, this metal straw is not gonna, not gonna make a difference. So what are you optimistic about? Well, the, the, the cause for optimism here is that we don't need to invent something magical that we don't have today. It's taking everything that we already know. We know how to build electric vehicles. So we need to retire gas guzzling cars and replace them with EVs. We know how to make homes, build homes that have a much smaller energy need. So we need to build new homes that way. We need to retrofit existing homes. We, we know everything we need to do. Um, now, it would be great if we had fusion. It would be wonderful for many reasons. Um, we probably won't have it for a decade or so. Um, but we don't actually need fusion to solve this problem. We can solve it we also know how to get carbon back out of the atmosphere. We've spent the last 200 years digging carbon out of the ground, burning it and putting it in the atmosphere. We know how to get it down. Plants, we can plant a lot more trees. Um, there's people planting trees from drones now. Um, there is lots of effort to sort of say, can we take biomass and put it back into the ground through something called biochar? You grow grass and instead of feeding it to cows, you put it through a process called pyrolysis, and what comes out is sort of black goo that you can put in the ground. It's actually good like fertilizer, but it keeps the carbon in the ground. Or you can do, um, Fred's just built a place out of wood. Like, you can substitute wood for concrete. So we know everything we need to do. The problem is we're doing it not at scale yet. So it's all about taking the things that already work and scaling them up. And that's where I think um, digital technology can play a big role, um, where online can play a big role, um, but we're still gonna need regulatory changes as and well. And we're getting it. I mean, you know, what would be, the, the best thing for the planet would be for every country in the world to put a price on carbon through mm -hmm. a, a tax would be the most efficient and simple way to do it. But, you know, New York City and New York State and California have required businesses and land, landlords to get to zero carbon um, by 2030 or 2040 or 2050, and if they don't, they're gonna find them. Right? So that is a, another way of putting a price on carbon. Those are really good things. They're good things because that, that will force people to change. I know one of the largest landlords in New York City I went to lunch this summer with, and he said, you know, this new law in New York City is completely screwing us. And I said, so what are you going to do about it? He said, we can't retrofit our buildings. There's no way we're going to meet the requirements in time. So I said, what are you going to do about it? He says, 
we bought a piece of property in upstate New York and we're building a massive solar farm and we're going to bring all that energy down and we're going to power our buildings with clean energy. I said, that's amazing. I said, that's exactly what should happen. And he's like, yeah, but it sucks that we have to do that. I said, no, it's a fantastic that you have to do that. Um, and of course, they can afford to do it, right? So I think that government has to do this. Government has to force the issue. And once they do... That's very rare gonna... to hear from a VC, so I... <laughs> no, no, I'm speaking as a human being. Like, government has to force this issue. And... and, I, and... I, I, can somebody show the Venn diagram for that, please? <laughs> I'm speaking of the part of me that's a human being. Okay? Yeah. The part of me that's a venture capitalist will come back in a second. Okay. Um, in fact, it's coming back now. Once yeah. that happens, companies will start making a lot of money because There'll be, there'll be dollars there to solve these problems for people. There's a huge amount of innovation that will get unlocked or will get deployed much more broadly the second we tax carbon. And, and the proper carbon tax would work in a way where you have to pay it if you emit and where you get to earn it when you remove. All right, so for my takeaways here, <laughs> we got a little rant. We got maybe any more controversial thoughts you want to share? I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, in that case, I think we'll, we'll just wrap up. Tax carbon, government intervention, maybe everyone can make money. Um, please join me in and thanking Capitalism you. isn't all bad. There yeah. we go. All right. <laughs>